It is so good to be with you today. I I don't know if you know, but I'm with the Center, which has been working with your church since last year. And we have just really have grown to love your church. And I am just privileged. And so you also notice I'm not Bruno. He texted me on Wednesday saying he was sick. I think the final verdict is some sort of bronchitis and was like, so you can be in prayer for him. And it was like, hey, since you're gonna be there anyways, would you like to preach for me? I said, okay, what's the message? He's like, Jesus is peace. I'm like, okay, we can do that. And so by God's goodness, and uh, here I am to get to share with you today. And it is my privilege, uh, because I do love to open the word of God and explain it as best I can. So would you please join me in prayer? Lord, right now we are open. I am open. Lord, flow through me. Speak through me. Use the meditations of my heart. Use the words that have been prepared to bring your message of what we need to hear today about your peace and how that applies to us. So we give this time to you, Lord, for it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with two scriptures, Um, very familiar because it's Christmas. And so, you know, we tend to repeat the story, but it's so important to kind of think sets the stage for where we want to go today. First is from Isaiah 9, um, verse 6. You've heard this many times. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of our ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lords of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And then the second one is from Luke. Luke gave us one of the most thorough accounts of the gospel story of of the birth of Jesus. And so in Luke in chapter two, again, a famous one that you have heard, Um, but notice the word peace in it, since that's kind of our theme word today, Um, starting at verse nine. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among the shepherds and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So in setting the stage today, through Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The angels to the shepherds declaring peace on earth. And I have to be honest, when I was thinking about peace this week, I looked around our world and I said, there's not a lot of peace. Are these verses even true? Is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Because we're not seeing it. I don't know about you, but for me, I think we are the most divided we have ever been. And I think it's a plan of the enemy to divide us. Because now we have chosen 
whether you're Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, or we have the divisions we put ourselves in that people have stopped being friends with each other on Facebook because of political views. We've stopped hanging out with people that might share a different voice than us. We have names, immigrants, illegal immigrants, that helps categorize us and separates us. We have, it's always us versus them. It's eagles versus the giants. I'm an eagle fan in giant's territory. But where is the peace? Jesus is the prince of peace. The shepherds say goodwill, peace on earth. And yet it seems like that the earth is having less and less peace. And so as I thought about this, I said, well, how are these verses still true if this is what we're seeing? And that's where... You know, you go and you study the commentaries and you start talking and looking and you realize a lot of people apply these verses to a future peace, to the idea that there will be a peace, often at Jesus' second coming, where peace will reign, evil will be destroyed. And we know this is true from reading Revelation because we get the picture of where heaven is a place where there's no more tears, where there's no more pain, where truly evil has been destroyed. So we know these verses are true for the future that Jesus will reign as the Prince of Peace. But I wonder if there isn't more to them. I wonder if those verses also don't point to a peace that we can have today in our reality with where we're at that we hadn't thought of. And so as again, as I was looking through scripture to to follow this kind of trace of peace, I came to John 14. Jesus in the upper room doing one of the most thorough teachings on the Holy Spirit and what he's, what he's doing. And he says in John 14, starting at verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. Remember what I told you when I, that I am going away, but I will come back to you again? If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so when they happen, you will believe them. I don't have much... T- more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's get going. Did you hear it in there? He specifically said, I am leaving you with a gift, the gift of a peace of mind and heart. So somehow when we say Jesus is Prince of Peace, it's not just that he's Prince of Peace of the future. Somehow he's Prince of Peace today, giving us today our heart and our minds, something magical that's a gift, something that he says the world can't give. And so again, you go and you define peace. And you, a lot of you have been in church long enough to know peace. It's often the word shalom from Hebrew. And it has this feeling of There's multiples. If you go to Bible dictionaries, you get a list of ways it can be translated. But it gives us this idea of to be complete, to be whole, or to live well. 
So again, you go, Christ has come to give us wholeness, to give us, to help us live well. This peace is such a gift. So that's kind of my jumping off point because I kind of have three ideas about peace that I want to explore. And the first one is true peace only comes through Christ. That is the bottom line. So if you are looking for peace in the world, he says he gives a peace no one else can give. So peace only comes through Christ. So if we jump ahead in John and you go to chapter 16, he's again comforting, speaking to his disciples in verse 29. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you, you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. They're like, hey, I finally get it. I think I know what you're talking about. And Jesus says, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one of you going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all these so that you may have peace in me. So everything he just told them in the preceding chapters and, and in this long discourse from 14 through 16, so that you will have peace in Christ. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is acknowledging that this world is gonna give us sorrow and troubles. It's going to set us up with pain, with confusion, with hurt. This world is fallen and it is broken. And he promises that, that we're gonna have troubles in this world. Sometimes they're external, sometimes they're by our own making. Sometimes it's just because we wear the name of Christ. We will have troubles in this world. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus came to give us ultimate peace. And this peace is our reconciliation with our relationship with God. Since Adam and Eve, this world has been broken. Genesis chapter three, sin has entered and it has actually rippled through the galaxy that Paul writes and says the whole universe is groaning to be put back together. Our lives are out of whack. We have lost our center and we are in rebellion against God. And yet God made us to have relationship with him. He has made us to be in fellowship with him. And we have rejected him. Each one of us going our own way, instead of running to Jesus, we allow the pain, the hurt, the sorrows of the world to drive us from Jesus. Christmas is about God sending Jesus to restore things to how they were originally created, to bring us back to the center. See, Jesus came, born in a manger, lived and died to take away our rebellious and our selfishness, what the Bible calls sin. And he takes it upon himself on the cross and dies for us. He takes our shame, our pain, and he nails it to the cross so that we can have peace, healing, a resurrection that starts today and goes for eternity. Jesus can take our pain and make something beautiful. Jesus can give us peace at the deepest level. 
Now I know talking about pain, worries, anxieties are not often a part of a Christmas message. It's not often where we go on Christmas. Um, But I also know you and I are humans and we experience pain every day and we experience loss. And so some of you for Christmas time, it's very hard. It is not a happy season for a lot of people. And depending on what happened in your life this year, it can be a not happy season this year when normally it is. For others of us, Christmas is always a joyous time and it's always filled with life and laughter. But I think it's fair to acknowledge there are times when we're not feeling it. Maybe you had a loss of a loved one this year. Maybe you have some broken family broken family relationships. May have broken friendships at church or the loss of people at church. I mean, and if I could kind of personalize this a little bit more. Bethlehem, you have been through a lot. It has been a difficult few years for you. And I feel that. Because I've walked with your leaders. And so I know that at times, it can be hard to find joy at Christmas. See, and I'm naturally more in my family, I'm more the Eeyore. So I kind of, Eeyore is my favorite Winnie the Pooh character because I kind of like to see that the world is falling and I kind of like to go, oh, well, there goes my tail. Oh, I guess I won't have a tail again. I mean, that's just kind of my personality. A lot of it's because of what I've experienced in my life. The pains and sorrows I've lived through have kind of left their mark, their little bit of dent. Um, And then my wife is more like Tigger and she just bounces through life so exciting all the time. Um, But I think it's important at Christmas to talk about this other side of Christmas, the sadness of Christmas. Um, Actually, some people have named it Blue Christmas. And it is. And so actually at our church, in talking about this, and I'm just a lay leader at at my church, but we started saying, you know, retirement homes started having these things called longest night services or Blue Christmas services to help people deal with the feelings that don't fit in on the normal Sunday morning services. So we have a longest night service. It happens on December 21st, because that's the longest night. And it's a service centered around grieving and acknowledging the pains of life. And we come together and we sing and we cry and then we have a reception. But the service is filled with hope because as Christians, we do not grieve like the world. We do not grieve like everyone else. And so I bring this up also because some of you seeing what your church has been through for the last two, three, five years with all the changes you had, changes in pastors, changes in size, changes of people, you may be still grieving all of that. You may be in the various stages of grieving. You may be at sadness. You may be at anger. You may be at peace. You may rotate between all of them. And the thought about looking forward to a future that could be amazing and could be bright might be a little hard for you to see right now because of what's going on inside with where you are and because of what you've been through. So my encouragement is to keep allowing Christ to be your peace this Christmas. And as we look to the future and as we talk about it, as we will in the focus group, the opportunities God, I believe God has presented 
May we allow it to flow through and to open it in eyes and not just see it through our grief or through our own losses that we've experienced this year. And the thought of another change just is too much because I know that and I've been there where the thought of one more thing changing is just hard. My second point is I think peace, true peace, comes through Christ, but it comes in community. Peace comes in community. In Colossians, Paul, writing to the church, says this. I'm still old school. I like a Bible. I I don't use an iPad. I like to turn the pages of Scripture and feel them in my hands. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ that comes from Christ, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Did you hear that you can let Christ rule in your heart? It's a place where you have a choice. We can choose peace. And not just between each other, but true peace. We can choose to allow God to come into the deep places of us and bring us peace. See, we need each other as Christians. And in a world today that is so divided, we need each other more. And so when we look at each other, we should not see the outside labels that, cry, that the world wants to give us. We should look as brother and sister in Christ. That is how we should lead when we interact with each other. So the church should be a place where you come and you find the peace of Christ lived out in each other. And you can have hope. You can let it rule in your life to where you're not just controlled by your feelings and emotions anymore, but you're controlled by the truths of Scripture and the truths of God. And I experienced this in my life. So I got saved at 17. Didn't come from a Christian family. We didn't even go to, go to Christmas on Easter or Christmas because my dad had a falling out with the church when I was about six years old and swore he'd never step foot in another church, and my dad kept his promises. So we didn't step foot in church again. My dad died when I was 15. I think that's where I was introduced to sadness at a new level that I never felt and grief. And I was lost. 17-year-old, by the time I was 16, I was pretty much living alone because my family had scattered. My mom had found boyfriends. I was the youngest, I was the baby by many years. My oldest brother was married. Middle brother had left when he was 18. My sister is still seven years older than me and so she was living at home. And a friend invites me to youth group. 
and I get to hear about a God that loves me. And I probably should have warned you when I started, I tend to be the weeping pastor. I don't know why. I think it's because I'm so in touch with the sadness side of life that it just comes naturally. You know, I don't know if you remember the movie Inside Out came out a while ago about the emotions that Pixar did. I identified with sadness, the one that was blue. Because that was just me. I just, I can relate to her that you just need a good cry every now and then. And when I talk about what God's done in my life, they're tears of joy. So anyways, to fast forward, I get invited on a retreat. I get saved. Amazing story. I can share that someday with you, what God said to me. And um, I start going to youth group. And I'm blown away by the love that I feel from other teenagers and my youth pastor. And so my youth pastor shares this verse with me. And I share it today as, a, as a, an encouragement because this is where that peace comes from. It's Matthew 11, 28 to, to 30. Jesus said, come to me. All of you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble in heart and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Isn't rest like peace? For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. See, at that point, somehow in growing up with my dad, I had stopped crying. Again, because when you make childhood promises, you tend to keep them. And so somewhere around seven, eight, I swore I would never cry again. Because crying in my household was a weakness. And my dad did not reward tears. So I didn't cry. So when my dad died at 15, it took three days before I cried, before I could even let emotions out. And so I didn't cry a lot. And so when the youth pastor read that to me, I cried. And I couldn't understand why, except that God was doing a deep work in me. And now the fun part of that is like I went through counseling and God did a lot of healing, but now I'm like on the other extreme to where I cry at anything, not just spiritual things. I cry at Hallmark commercials. I mean, my kids, especially when they were younger, they would take bets in movies of which part would make dad cry the most. I mean, I just, I just do, I, I get weepy because I've been so touched. It's like those years of not crying, God is just pouring out on this side. Sometimes I wish he would stop. But the big idea, is this Christmas, that verse offers you rest for your soul. So Christmas is busy anyways. It's busy trying to do the perfect Christmas. And Jesus is saying, come to me if you're a heavy laden. If you are weary from trying to do Christmas like the world, come to me and let me give you rest. Let me give you peace. And take my yoke, which is his teachings, which are light, the other gift, not in this sermon, but a little side note is that we have such a gift to give this world of a teachings of Christ, which is so light and freeing and healing and transformative. That's why I want every church to be healthy and proclaiming that good news. So last point. Well, actually, before I get to the last point, I want to say this. Have you felt the power of the church? bringing you peace? Have you have someone just show up and sit with you when you needed it? When someone prays with you? When someone brings you a meal, sends a card? 
calls you on the phone at just the right time, sends you a text. That is what the church brings. It brings the peace of Christ to you when you need it and how you need it. Because our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Now on to my third point about peace. True peace comes through Christ. It's lived in community, but it also comes through thanksgiving and praise or worship. That is how we find peace. So again, Paul writing to the Philippian church. Chapter four of four to seven. Do not, chapter six, oh, actually, chapter four, six, starting in chapter verse four. Always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience the God's peace, which exceeds anything we understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There's that peace again, a promise that God's peace will exceed anything we understand. God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. This is the power of God's peace that you can be transformed from the inside out. See, some, I wonder, actually, how do I want to word that? I think the American church, maybe mostly the East Coast church, because those are the churches I know, we've forgotten how much Christ wants to transform us through his Holy Spirit. We've forgotten when we let the Spirit in and we accept Jesus into our hearts, the Spirit lives inside of us. We are giving the Spirit control to change us. That means we're giving the Spirit control to change our feelings, to change our emotions, to change our attitudes, to change how we see people. That is a transformation that happens. It's not that we don't allow culture to change us. We allow Christ to change us to be in the culture. That is the transformation. I think we've kind of forgotten about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The power that the Holy Spirit wants to transform me on the inside. So you should be able to stand up here and say your own testimony of, yeah, I used to be like this, but I'm now like this because Christ has changed me. I used to struggle with alcohol, but now I'm free. I used to struggle with anger, but now I'm free. I used to struggle with bitterness, racism, And now I'm free because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you to transform you and say, no, 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 you're my child. We don't live like that. We don't think like that. We don't do that anymore because you're my child and I'm transforming you from the inside out. So how do we find this peace? Rejoice. Praise. Says, do not worry. Says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. And you can still rejoice in sadness. It's not to deny your emotions. Grief and sadness is one of the greatest gifts God has given us. To be able to weep with people is one of the greatest gifts you can have. To weep together is a gift. So it's not to deny our emotions. It's to say, I can rejoice in my sorrow because we do not grieve like the world. Because I can see 
a hope and a heaven that is going to take all the tears away. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Your heavenly Father loves you and knows what you need even before you ask. Are you willing to allow him to love you that way? And thank him for all he has done. I mean, truly give him thanks. If you want to have more peace this Christmas, do a little test of every day, write down five things that you're thankful for at the start of the day and then read that list five, 10, 15 times a day and see if after the end of a week, your attitude hasn't started to change. You're not feeling a little bit more at peace about the things around you and of what God is doing. This is where the peace of Christ comes from. I have an illustration in here and I don't like it. Um, so I'm debating if I should share it or not. Do you ever do, well, I don't know if you do that. When you write sermons, you put in illustrations to illustrate your points. And this one I'm wrestling with God over because I'm going, I don't know if I like that one, Lord. You need to give me a better illustration. Um, but my question is, have you found the peace of Christ in the middle of your storms? Because scripture promises you can have a peace that transcends understanding. Meaning if you tried to explain it to someone else, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't be able to say, wait, well, how can you, but you just went through that, how? And it's a miracle, and I don't know how it happens, and I, and I want you to think of your own. I had mine, it was talking about my mom's um, illness and death at the end, and that's just too deep, um, and I'll cry more. And so I'm just like, I, I told, you know, I was reading over this morning, I'm like, God, I, I don't wanna go there, so give me a different one of where your peace, and the thing is, is I have so many instances of where when you truly see God, he gives you a peace, a peace of not understanding. So um, when I left pastoring, I was a pastor for 20 years. I'll share this story instead. I was always associate, never felt called to be a senior pastor. I always knew I was called to teach. So God finally said, it's time. Now, I'm one that doesn't like change. So, of course, what do you do if you don't like change and God tells you to do something? You wrestle with God. You're like, no, God. That's not what we're going to do. I have a different idea. And so he's like, no. And so we wrestled a little bit. And, and finally, God won. And he said to me, I'm going to have you leave your church. But because you haven't quite been as obedient as I needed you to be, I'm not telling you what's next. You need to just quit. And you need to trust me. This was 2011 actually 2010 when we were wrestling. And um, God won, so I said, okay. And so, you know, you get a word from God, what's the wise thing to do? You always go, does it go against scripture? No, it doesn't. There was nothing in scripture that God telling me to leave my job is wrong. Then you go to godly friends. And you say, hey, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking. So I went to my pastor friends. And to give you a little bit of my personality, I didn't go to two, three, I went to 13, all right? Just to tell you my personality. 13 pastor friends, and I say, this is what I feel like God's telling me to do. What do you think? And every one of them, I kept going to find someone that would talk me out of this, said, oh no, we totally see God telling you to do that. 
every one of them. My wife's like, are you gonna finally believe God? I'm like, no, I want one more. Anyways, um, so I had to quit. I walked in January and I said, God's calling me to go do something. He's not telling me what's next. I'm married, I have three kids that at that time were younger. <laughs> I'm trying to do quick math in my head. I like 11, nine, and seven. And had, I was teaching one part-time class, maybe two part-time classes. And God said, walk away. And I did. And the weird thing is I had a piece. The weird thing is my wife had a piece. In fact, she was probably driving the car because um, she had such a piece about it. And I was being dragged kicking and screaming because I walked away from everything. You know, my kids were saying, Dad, we don't want to go find new friends. I go, I know, kids. But when pastors leave churches, guess what? They have to find new friends too. And so for the first time, I didn't pick what church we went to because I didn't, wasn't working at a church anymore. I really felt like God was calling me to teach. And so I had to go pursue that. And so we did. And the crazy thing, it's not crazy in any way except in my head, God showed up and the net appeared. And I didn't know what the future looked like, but I knew it was where God wanted me to go. And I jumped. And so throughout the year, um, the best way to sum it up is we went to do our taxes the next year. So I left in, my last day was February, the last day of February, probably February 28th in 2011. So now you fast forward to taxes season when we do our taxes in February the next year. I had six W-2s. My wife had three. So we had nine W-2s of all the jobs God gave us. Our accountant titles it all in and he goes, wow, you guys did pretty good. You came within $900 of making as much money as you made the year before. And I went, wow. Now, again, I was a youth pastor salary. But still, it was a, it was a pretty big miracle. Because when I quit the job, I only had two part-time, one class I was teaching and another class I was teaching. And that was it. And I said, Lord, you got to show up. And he did. And the crazy thing is I had peace through every step of the way. And since that time, it's been a rocket ship of faith for me. And I guess I share that story instead of the story about my mom is because... I wonder if today, if the question is, is do you trust God with the future of Bethlehem? Even if you don't know all the details? Even if you don't know what tomorrow brings? Do you trust him? Do you trust your Heavenly Father that he loves this church more than you do? That he died for this church? This is why he died? This is his church? Because he knows on Bethlehem in Randolph that this church needs to be a shining light? that this church needs to be a place, that this sanctuary should be filled two, three, four times, that you should be able to have a slide that says, come to our Christmas Eve services because we have four different times for you to show up. Do you believe that God has that type of future for you? But it may be in a way that you'd never imagine and you could never see, that you could never realize. I never knew how God, I did not know I would have six W-2s when I left my job. I had none. And it was the grace of God that schools wanted to allow me to teach for them. And then my wife, she's always been a hustler and a good leader and tremendous. She, she always had three jobs because um, that's just who she is. But to have nine W-2s, that's the grace of God because we don't know the future. And sometimes when God, you're seeking the peace of Christ, he's going to give you peace 
before you move forward. That's how my pastor preaches. Follow the peace. Because this peace that transcends understanding is going to lead you better as you listen to the Spirit's leading. And you remember, this is Christ's church. It's not ours. We are just stewards. And we have to be really careful how hard we hold on to it. Because it's Christ's, not ours. Transition. There's been a Christmas song that I've been playing on repeat for the last few years since I first heard it. It's called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and it's based off a poem by Harry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. So I want to read the poem to you. So Longfellow wrote this poem during the Civil War while he was waiting for news about his son who was fighting in the war. So let me read this to you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet, the words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from day to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols were drowned. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loudly sound. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you hear his despair? Do you hear how he looks at the world and says hate is winning? There is no more love. There is nothing. But then he hears the bells and the Christmas bells. And he's reminded that God is still in control and God will win. So, Casting Crowns turned this poem into a song. And we're going to watch that video now. I probably don't need to tell you that I get tears in my eyes every time I hear that song too. Um, so I want to end the sermon by getting personal, individually. Where do you need the peace of Christ this Christmas in your life? Where do you need him to enter into where you're at this Christmas season? Do you need true peace that comes through Christ by getting saved? Do you need to surrender your life to this Jesus that loves you oh so much that he died for you? Do you need to see peace coming through community, through your church family, who will understand if you tell them, if you pull someone aside and say, hey, just so you know, this is a hard season for me. Do you need peace that comes just through thanksgiving and worship? Do you just need to pause and write a thank you note to God? 
telling him all the blessings you have, not all the things you lost. He knows those. All the things you have. And the worship. And praise him for it. Praise him for what he does. If you can embrace any of those three, I think you will have a different peace this Christmas. You will truly see Christ as the Prince of Peace, the one that can rule in our hearts, that transforms us from the inside out. That is my prayer. And so I'm going to pray now. Jesus, you, in your grace, love us. And you know that Christmas can be really high for some people and it can be really low for others. You know the emotions of grief and sadness and loss. You know the emotions of joy and excitement that Christmas morning brings. But Lord, for each people here, would you whisper to them right now what they need to hear? If they need you as their Prince of Peace, if they need you in a relationship, would you pull on their heart now and have them just say this simple prayer? Jesus, I need you. Be my peace. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm screwed up. And I ask you to come into my heart and transform me. I give you full control to take over my life. And if you just need the peace of community this morning, would you tell your heavenly father what you need and then go to the people he puts on your heart, whether to bring peace by giving them a hug or to open up and ask for peace, letting them into your pain and into your situation so they can walk with you. And if you just need peace because you had your eyes on the wrong things and you need to focus your eyes on Christ again and be so thankful and filled with joy that we can do what Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. That is our prayer this morning. And we will rejoice in you, Father, because without you, we are nothing. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.